morning, Westridge. <laughs> I don't know whether you know this or not, but you're in church today. Did you get that? You're in church today. That's what I'm talking about right there. I don't think no grave's going to hold him down. I'm not sure. I don't know whether you've noticed or not, but some people don't know how to leave. Um, take, for example, those people who, whenever they get into a heated argument or debate, they just, they just jump up and walk away, you know, huffing and puffing. You ever known people like that? They just turn their back and walk away from you. People who go to a party and they don't thank their hosts before they leave. They just kind of scamper out the back. But for me, the picture of not knowing when to leave comes from a superstar athlete who in his prime was a marvel of athletic ability, but he plays too long. Thank you very much. (laughs) Text your favorite Brett Favre joke right now, but make sure that's all you text. I'm thinking about those people. Just walk away winner. Walk away when you're on top. I've decided that when I leave this earthly plane... I want to walk away a winner. Not because I've got the most toys, not because I've got the most accolades, prestigious titles, but because I decided I'm going to walk away a winner and I'm going to build my life with the things that last forever. My convictions, my character, and the way I live with others in community. Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote, I'm convicted that it is not the fear of death of our lives ending that haunts our sleep so much as the fear that as far as the world is concerned, we might as well never have lived. That our lives counted for nothing. That we're here and we're gone and nobody noticed. Nobody cared. Now, I got to admit, the futility of life can drag us down, can it? I mean, those repetitious things you got to do Every day. And I got news for you. Tomorrow is Monday morning again. (laughs) You wash the dishes and guess what? They're dirty again. You mow the lawn and guess what? You got to mow it again. You clean up the sticky stuff from the floor that the kids spilled. And five minutes later, guess what? The sticky stuff's back on the floor. It's hard to measure progress in our life sometimes. It's hard to determine, am I really leaving a legacy? Is my life really counting? It can feel rather like building sandcastles. And i got to tell you today, the reality is, one of these days, everything is going to get washed away. But I probably don't have to tell you that God's put inside of us, deep down inside of us, a desire within our heart To live a life that counts. To make a difference. To leave a legacy. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. I think this passage is saying that every day of my life, I'm building a legacy. And every moment of my life, I get to choose the materials I'll build with. I can build with temporary materials, 
Or I can build my life and leave a legacy with eternal materials. I'm convinced of this. If I'm going to leave a legacy, there are just a handful of materials that I can use that are eternal. The first one are the convictions that I hold. Trends come and go. Pop psychology, it's always changing. The bestseller book list, it's different every week. I like the way the message puts Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, but if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. I think he's saying, don't just study the Bible, live it out. If I were to be honest with you here today, I would have to tell you that some of the meanest Christians I've ever known in my life were those who knew the Bible cover to cover. And do you know that the Bible says even the demons believe and shudder? And do you remember that in the wilderness, the devil quoted Scripture to Jesus? Now, the reality is there is a time for Bible study, but there's also a time for you to put your Bible down and go out and do something about it. I need to also insert this about convictions, because sometimes when this subject comes up, it gets misinterpreted. While God's Word never changes, my understanding of it does. I don't perfectly apprehend it, comprehend it, fully understand it today. So here's one of my convictions. My understanding of God's Word is best described as faith-seeking understanding. Which is to say, I've not arrived. Which is to say, being a person of conviction doesn't also mean being a rigid, dogmatic, argumentative person. You can be a person of conviction without being that kind of person. It means accepting life as a faith journey and being authentic and transparent along that journey. Here's a second building material, and that's our character. Look at what Romans chapter 8 has to say. God knew what He was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. Which is to say, from the beginning, God's plan was to make you more like Jesus. His plan is to put into your life the character traits of Jesus. And so that faith journey is a journey toward becoming like Him. There's an old story that uh, is told about the great sculptor Michelangelo, who was once asked, how did you sculpt the famous David? And he replied, well, I just chipped away everything that didn't look like David. It was as simple as that. And I tell the old story again because I think it perfectly describes what God's doing in our life. He's chipping away at our character. Everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Now, some of us have more chipping to do. And God has some particular tools that He uses to do that, to build into my character the traits of Jesus. He uses problems. If you've got a pulse, you've got a problem today. I read the prayer requests every week. The whole staff does and pray over them. I know there are serious problems here. Sometimes they are small problems, those little irritations that kind of just rub the rough edges off your character. Other times there are huge problems in our life. And that's when God gets out the jackhammer and He starts chipping away those huge chunks of our character that don't look like Jesus. 
Another tool that he uses is pressure. We learn patience under pressure. And when I think about it, the most Christ-like people that I've known were those who were under tremendous pressure, but they never lost their character. They maintained it. I envy those people. Because whatever is in the tube comes out under pressure. And so God sometimes allows pressures in our life to show us what's been on the inside all along, and we didn't want to admit it or face it or see it. And there it is, bomb, right out there in the open. Under pressure. Another tool that God uses to chip away at our character is other people. Uh, You probably know that there are other people in your life that you know that are hard to love. Would that be true? Would there be people? If you were honest, you would have to say, they really irritate me. They really get under my skin. They really rub me the wrong way. And in some cases, those very people like that, they're in your family, right? Somebody said they're heavenly sandpaper. That's... And more to the point, some of them are sitting right next to you right now, right? Don't turn your head. Don't turn your head. Come on. God uses those tools to build our character, to be more like Jesus so we can leave a legacy. Here's a third building material that lasts forever, and that's community. You may remember uh, the story of the famous sisters in the Gospels, Mary and Martha. One night they had Jesus over for dinner. And Martha was running around in a frenzy. She was trying to make sure everything was perfect because after all, when you got the Son of God for dinner, you want things to be perfect. But Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet having a little chat. Martha was really ticked off about that. She was mad at her sister Mary. And I think she was also really mad at Jesus because Jesus was just sitting there and not setting her straight. And so Martha comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, and she says this, Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Are any of you like that in your family? You do all the work. You've got to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're the only sibling that has any responsibility, any good sense. Any of you like that? I mean, I'm, that's me and my family. I got one stupid little three and a half year younger brother of mine. I got a. Don't want to be that transparent, do we? Uh, Back to Martha. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha. Yeah, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things, but there's need of only one thing. And guess who has chosen the better part? Your, your sis. Now that had to hurt. Because Martha's thinking, uh, look at all I'm doing. I'm working as hard as I can. And look what she's doing. And Lord, look at what you're letting her do. You ever prayed that or thought that? God, why are you letting them get by with that? I mean, if it were up to me... 
And Jesus tells Martha, in a nice way, you're missing the boat. Your priorities, they're all wrong. Mary's doing the important thing, the thing that will last forever. You're making life too complicated. It's really pretty simple. It's a relationship with me, and it's a relationship with others. And sometimes we make life too complicated. We get so busy thinking about what everybody else should be doing, and we forget to focus on the important relationships so that we can be the person God wants us to be. I'm guessing you want to leave a legacy that will stand the test of time. If you're going to do that, you've got to use the right material. You've got to decide to walk away winner. You've got to decide not to build your house on the sand. That castle you live in, your house that you live in, it's a sandcastle. It's going to get knocked down one day. So don't get too attached to it. Enjoy it. It's great. It's fine. But it's what goes on inside that castle that's really important. It's not your house that's really important. It's your home that's really important. It's your family. It's that community. And you know that car you drive? That's a sandcastle. Don't get too attached to it. It's going to get knocked down one day. It's going to wear out. It's probably already wearing out. Look at those tires when you go out in the parking lot. They're bald. Put new ones on, guess what? They wear out too. Everything you own on this earth, God says, go ahead and enjoy it. That's fine. That's good. Just don't get attached to it. That's not where life is. It's just sandcastles. It's relationships that matter. Your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with others. That's what matters. That's what's going to last. There's only three things that's going to stand the test of time. Your convictions, your character, and our community with others, our relationships. Everything else we have in this life is going to be washed away. So doesn't it make more sense to focus on those things a little bit more? The question for every one of us this morning is what kind of legacy are we going to leave behind? And sometimes we may feel like we really can't make a difference. How can I leave a lasting legacy? I'm not wealthy. I'm not powerful. I'm not influential. I like what Helen Keller said. She says, I'm only one, but still I am one. I can't do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something. That I can do. So what is it you can do to leave a legacy when you leave here today? If we knew our time on earth was running out, don't you think we'd do all we could to impact life and leave something good behind? We wouldn't want to live a life of regret, misspent, self-absorbed. I love stories about Chicago. It's my favorite city in the country. And you can't tell a story about Chicago without telling a story about one of its most famous historical figures, my great-great-uncle, Al Capone. <laughs> He's not my great-great-uncle. It's more like a fifth cousin or something like that. Uh, you already know about him. He was notorious for enmeshing the Windy City and everything from bootleg booze and prostitution to murder. But what you may not know is that Capone had a, a lawyer named 
Ezieti. And uh, he had that name because he was really good. In fact, because of his legal maneuverings, he kept Big Al out of the big house for a long time. And to show his appreciation, Capone paid him very well. And not only was the money big, but Eddie also got special dividends. He and his family occupied a large fenced-in compound with live-in help and all the conveniences of the day. Eddie lived the high life of the Chicago mob during its zenith and gave very little consideration to all the atrocities that were going on around him. But Eddie did have one soft spot. He had a son. And he loved him dearly. And Eddie saw to it that his son had the best of everything, the clothes, the car, the good education. Nothing was withheld. Price was no object. But despite his involvement with organized crime, Eddie even tried to teach him right from wrong. Because Eddie wanted his son to be a better man than he was. And yet with all of his wealth and influence, there were two things Eddie couldn't give to his son. He couldn't pass on a good name and he couldn't leave him a good example. And so one day, Easy Eddie, he reached a difficult decision. Easy Eddie wanted to rectify the wrongs he'd done, so he decided that he'd go to the authorities and he'd tell them the truth about Al Scarface Capone. He'd clear up his tarnished name and he'd offer his son some semblance of integrity. To do this, he knew he'd have to testify against the mob. And he knew that the cost would be great, but testify he did. And it may come as no surprise to you that within the year, Easy Eddie's life ended in a blaze of gunfire on a lonely Chicago street. But in his eyes, he'd given his son the greatest gift he had to offer at the greatest price he could pay. World War II has a lot of heroes. One such man was Lieutenant Commander Butch O'Hare. He was a fighter pilot. He was assigned to the aircraft carrier Lexington in the South Pacific. One day, his entire squadron was out on a mission. And after he was airborne, he looked at his fuel gauge and he realized that someone had forgotten to top off his tank. He realized that he wouldn't have enough fuel to complete his mission and get back to his ship. And so his squadron leader told him to just turn around and go back to the carrier. Reluctantly, Butch dropped out of the formation, headed back to the fleet. But as he was returning back to the mothership, he saw something that turned his blood cold. A squadron of Japanese aircraft was speeding their way towards the American fleet. And the American fighters were gone on a sortie, and the fleet was defenseless. Butch couldn't reach his squadron. He couldn't bring him back in time to save the fleet, nor could he warn the fleet of the impending danger. There was only one thing he could try and do, and that was to try to divert enemy aircraft from the fleet. And so laying aside all thought of personal safety, he dove into the formation of Japanese planes. Butch wove in and out of the now broken formation and fired at as many planes as possible until all of his ammunition was spent. And when all of his ammunition was spent, he continued to dive at the planes, trying to to clip a wing or a tail in hopes of damaging as many enemy planes as he could, rendering them unfit to fly. Finally, 
the exasperated Japanese squadron turned around and took off in another direction. Deeply relieved, Butch and his tattered fighter limped back to the carrier. And the film from the gun camera mounted on his plane told the tale. It showed the extent of Butch's daring attempt to protect his fleet. He had, in fact, destroyed five enemy aircraft. Now, this took place February 20th, 1942. And for that action, Butch O'Hare became the Navy's first ace of World War II. He became the first naval aviator to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. Unfortunately, a year later, Butch was killed in aerial combat at the age of 29. But his hometown... They didn't want his memory to die. And so what they decided to do was name their airport after him, changing it from the nondescript orchard field. (laughs) Though if you notice, your luggage tag still says O-R-D. And so the next time you find yourself at O'Hare International Airport, it's down the road here in Chicago, I.L., Give some thought to visiting Butch's memorial displaying his statue and his Medal of Honor. It's located right there between Terminals 1 and 2. You can smell Gino's East Pizza while you're there. And oh, by the way, while you're there, thank his dad. Easy Eddie. Because he decided to leave a legacy. you got to realize... That leaving boldly, that's a choice. Maybe it's saying with me more than a few times. I want to leave boldly, not with a whimper. I want to walk away a winner. But that's a choice you've got to decide before you get in the game. But first things first. You're not ready to leave boldly until you come to Jesus first. Maybe today, that's your next bold move.